Are you looking for that perfect piece to be the focal point of your fan cave or something that will light up your office? Fly the Wood Designs creates unique, custom, made-to-order lighted wood pieces to highlight your favorite team, company logo, or whatever you're looking for. One client said they took my logo and made it better. Easily work with them and create exactly what you envision or give them artistic freedom to create something incredible. Many of these attention-grabbing pieces are displayed in spaces of Cubs players, businesses, and corporate offices. Find Fly the Wood Designs on social at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also contact the wood artist, Bill Watts, at woodflags1 at gmail.com. Fly the Wood, fan cave, bar, and home decor. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, it is you who wakes me up every day. And I am forever grateful for your love. This is why I pray. You let me touch so many people, and it's all for the good. I influenced so many children, I never thought that I would. And I couldn't take credit for the love they get, because it all comes from you, Lord. I'm just the one that's giving it. And when it seems like the pressure gets to be too much, I take time out and pray and ask that you be my crutch. Lord, I am not perfect by a long shot. I confess to you daily. But I work harder every day and I hope that you hear me. In my heart, I mean well, but if you'll help me to grow, then what I have in my heart will begin to show. And when I get going, I'm not looking back for nothing, because I will know where I'm headed. And I'm so tired of the suffering. I stand before you, a weakened version of your reflection, begging for direction for my soul needs resurrection. I don't deserve what you've given me, but you never took it from me because I am grateful and I use it and I do not worship money. If what you want from me is to bring your children to you, my regret is only having one life to do it instead of two. Amen.
And the Club for Heart podcast is on the air, and we are bringing you guys what we promised you on our last podcast, a spring tre- training treat, right, William? Spring treat, yes. A spring training treat. So we know that most of you guys are getting ready to head out to Mesa, Arizona, which requires most of us, most of you guys to get on a plane or get in your car or travel some way. So we wanted to come out with a podcast for you guys. Believe it or not, do you remember this party, William? Do you remember the date of this party, William? Well, I should because it's the date was your birthday. Yeah, I don't think you remember. I don't. I put him on the spot and he failed. Total fail. <laughs> I can't even remember my kid's birthday, so do not be offended. This podcast is from my 50th birthday here at Club 400. And at the time, well, still to this day, the hardest guest I ever got to Club 400, which is none other than a great Hall, uh, Cubs Hall of Famer. Cubs Hall of Famer. Sean Dunstan, man. And I'll tell you what. I had tried to get Sean Dunstan to Club 400 for three to four years because of COVID, obviously. I, was, I had a deal in place with Sean, and then COVID hit. And then, you know, it took a while to get out of COVID, obviously. And then he moved from uh, New York to San Francisco. Uh, no, New York to Arizona. So he needed some time to get regrouped there. Finally, we worked it out, and I could not tell you. I could tell you this, William. We've had over 50 ballplayers at Club 400. And, you know, I had talked to Sean three or four times after COVID trying to set him up to come out here. Didn't know him at all. Didn't really know what to expect. And I uh, biggest Club 400 surprise ever for me. He delivered. There's oh my no gosh. doubt about it. His interview with um justin roman justin roman by shout the way out shout roman. out to justin and kenzie roman yeah uh my by the way my season ticket partners C now partners yeah uh they just had a baby boy his name's marino really i guess it's named after dan marino but that's first name marino yeah that's a cool name i like that so marino roman that's a good name huh i, I like that's it a, that sounds, sounds like a wrestler's a name man. yeah that's a man's a that guy's got name. muscles and he doesn't even know it yet that's a man marino name. roman no, but uh, but he did a hell of a Q and A. He did, and that interview was as good as any. Maybe not as good as yours back when you interviewed all the Hall of Famers. Oh, that was pretty good. You can go back on tape; it's yeah, there. We'll find that. No, but uh, you know, he kind of interviewed like he played. I, I thought about about it when he was out here. It's funny; not many people would say who's their favorite Cub player ever, Sean Dunstan. He was one of the most fun players to watch. Oh, I mean, I can't tell you, like, Mike Jewett, who I met at fantasy camp, that's his favorite player of all time. So ever since I met Mike, Stu, are you going to get Sean Dunson? So it's like I kind of had to do it for Mike because he bothered me for so many years. But, yeah, I mean, I can't tell you, even at that party, how many people our age, you know, because we grew up in the shot when we were younger, you know, tried to emulate him as a ball player. Obviously, he had the 120-mile-per-hour fastball going over Mark Grace. Watch out, you know, anybody in that direction. If you're a fan behind Mark Grace, you watch out. Dorothy, I'm surprised she didn't get hit by Sean Dunstan. Right. Yeah, uh, you never knew where that was going. But he go. had a he had a lot of flair. He he played with flair. Yes, he did. He and was he was Javi Baez before Javi got you know was Javi. Good kind of, good call on that. I kind of like that. He played with his hair on fire. Yeah, he totally did. And, and you know what? The other thing that everyone remembers about him for sure, if you were a fan, was the Shawnometer. That was here, the original. Oh my How gosh! Cool Let that? me tell you what we had here that night. Just to paint a quick picture picture for you guys before you listen to this. One hour Q and A with Justin Roman and Sean Dunson. As you're going to Mesa, Arizona, we had wings and rings, wings, 
We had the modern day Romeos play. Full band. First time we ever. We had JP's Pizza here. It's amazing. What's a few little minor screw ups, mm, but. A little hiccup. <laughs> and then we also had. Old style light. Old style beer and old style light. Our it's, brand new sponsors. It's inaugural. And by the way, here. you're coming down to Mesa, Arizona. We're going to have plenty of stuff for you. You're going to grab an old style while you're down there. You're going to grab two old styles. And you might grab old style light. Hey, why don't you grab a Club 400 old style hat while you're at it? And we, yeah, we also had another caterer there. Who was it? I forgot. I'm drawing a blank, but I will mention them in another podcast. They cook burgers a la carte and stuff like that. It was an unbelievable evening. Um, Sean just knocked my socks off. You'll hear it through the interview. You'll kind of get it, you know, read, read on him of how humble and kind of a person he is. One of my favorite guys. You know, when I've called him a few times since the event because i just felt like man this guy this guy is you know it's not even about baseball i just really enjoyed the person that he was beyond the uniform and as i say that's the greatest thing about club 400 you get to know the person behind the uniform and um like i said uh trying to get him out here for three years you know he did come on my 50th birthday and honestly i could not think of a better guest to have on my 50th birthday than a Sean Dunstan. And his public appearances are extremely rare. Yeah. And he signed. He's barely done any. And he signed everything. He signed everything. If you wanted two autographs, he'd sign two. You wanted three, he'd sign three. He was so accessible. He gave us 100% Sean Dunstan. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, that was, that was an amazing guest. I guess the only question I have, you know, the one that's dangling out there in the universe is when we talk about past parties, you know, people say the Rizzo party or this party or whatever. I've heard this referred to as the Dunstan party, and I've heard it referred to as your 50th birthday. What are we going to call it? We got to pick. I will tell should you we what we should. I, I, I tell you, it should have been my 50th birthday, but we're going to call it the Sean Dunstan party. Right. Just because, I mean, if you're a Sean Dunstan fan, I'm, you know, if you're a fan of Sean Dunstan and you were here that night, you're never going to get a better experience anywhere ever again, and I promise you that. Uh, the autographs, the Q&A, how he was to everybody when he wasn't doing his duties. Um, we got to call it the Sean Dunstan party. It'll go on, it'll be, it, it will go down in history as the greatest Sean Dunstan party in history that you had to pay to go to. Like I don't know what he's done in his personal life. He might have some really good parties, right? But right, who knows? For yeah. a public party right. with fans, there's, that was the greatest party ever. And I, I think we could say that about a lot of these parties at Club 400. Yeah, the one thing I really liked about that one, too, it was a it was a tweener. It wasn't one of your biggest parties ever. It was about 125, 150 smaller. people, yeah. And it was nice enough that we had people outside. We had the band outside and all of that. And yet, it wasn't crowded at all it no. didn't feel like crowded and it was uh it was just cool very well executed party it was another good one um i will like to say like some of you guys were wondering why we played that dmx prayer at the beginning and i want to stop we played that at the beginning of the party and i can't tell you how many people thought like it was a joke or i was going to start rapping or whatever else but no on my 50th i want to play something that was meaningful to me so like that morning i woke up in the office didn't plan on playing anything Except for the song that we're going to play at the very end, I wanted to play that one uh, at some point in the night. Uh, so what I, you know, I, I grew up. Uh, in fact, it was funny because we just cleaned out the basement, and I'll show it to you, William. A picture of me and DMX. I was a huge DMX fan back in the day. I still think he's one of the greatest rappers of all time, and he's a troubled guy, obviously. But um, you know, he he had a lot of great things about him, and um, so I said, "Hey, Alexa, play me a DMX song." And it played that prayer that I just played for you guys on this episode. 
And I was like, man, that was really good. It kind of resonates with me a little bit with what's going on in my life right now. And then I was like, Alexa, repeat that. And then I listened to it again, and I said, repeat that again. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to play that tonight. It wasn't planned. It was something. I, I could, they could have put uh, up in here, you know. Right. That song came on. That prayer came on, and it hit me at the moment. It was my 50th birthday. And I was like, we're going to play that to start the evening off. So if you want to know why we played that, that was the reason. And the greatest thing about that, William, is Sean Dunstan was a huge DMX fan because he grew up in Yonkers, New York. And right. you know DMX is from Yonkers. So it made him feel at home. I think it was meant to be that we played that. It set the evening off right. And we're going to get into it right now. I just want to tell you guys one thing. Before Sean Dunstan came out here, I said, Sean, listen. I know you're taking a chance with us because he didn't really know about Club 400 that much. He stays out of the, like, baseball world, you know. And I know you're coming in for your Hall of Fame weekend, and, and it's going to be an unbelievable weekend. The last thing I wanted to do is screw that up. In fact, when the party that you come to on my 50th birthday, I wanted to start the weekend off right. I wanted to give you, I want to give you the greatest weekend ever, and I know the Cubs are going to come through for you like they always do. But I want to give you a cherry on top of it, even though it's at the beginning and not the end. And you know what? When I talked to him after the event, he goes, Stu, you did exactly what you said you were going to do. He said, you started awesome. off our week and unbelievable. So here it is, Cub fans. Have a great time on your way to Arizona. Our interview, September 7th, 2023, my 50th birthday, Sean Dunstan and our good friend, Justin Roman. He was the first pick in all of baseball in 1982. 
mean, he was drafted ahead of some really, really good players. Uh, you may have heard of Dwight Gooden. He was before Dwight Gooden. So I want to ask you, Sean, you were drafted by the Cubs, first overall in the draft. What was your first impression of, like, Chicago and the Cubs? Like, what did you know as a, as a young man before you got to Wrigley Field, before you got drafted by the Cubs? I really didn't know too much about the Cubs. I did a little bit because I lived in New York. I'm from Brooklyn. And the Cubs used to always come on TV and play the Mets at 3 o'clock. I'm like, why did they play the And all of a sudden, I'm drafted by the Cubs. And then I'm like, okay, it's nice. It's a little bit less than um, New York. Sorry. And when I got drafted and then I started playing, a rookie ball was easy. A ball was easy. Double A was easy. Then that year, in 84, I go up to Triple A. And the first day I get there, I hit two home runs. I've been there for two and a half months. Then the first week, I hit five home runs. I said, oh, I'm going to the major. <laughs> and then I'm staying two months. I hit five home runs. I only end up with seven. And I said, what is that pitch? They throw it. I said, that's the pitch going to keep me in the minor leagues. And I was a slider. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought about when I moved up. And when I got to the big leagues, it was very nice, but it was different <coughs> because I was the youngest player on the team. I was 21, and everybody was grown men. So I didn't have nobody but myself, and I had to hang out with grown men. And men do things a little different from me. And when I'm playing against a grown man, like in the minor leagues, it was easy because everybody's my age. So it's all macho. So I think my talent's better than everybody's like they think so. It's easy. But when you get to the major leagues, you're playing against men that has a wife and have children. And even though, even though they throw 95, they're not going to throw you the fastball because they know you can hit it. And I remember Suckler used to always say, Sean, you got to slow down. I said, why can't they throw me a fastball? They said, they know you can hit a fastball, can't hit a slider. But I said, they throw hard. He said, this game is about getting you out, not making you feel good. Ah, good point. <laughs> that was a big adjustment. Good point, good point. Um, I, like so many in Chicago, fell in love with the 1984 team. I know you weren't on that team yet. You're right, the 84 team, that was when I fell in love with the Cubs. Um, I know you weren't on that team, but you were, you were on the come up, right? So 85, right. you come in. Out of that group of players, was there one or two guys that kind of took you under their wing and made you feel comfortable? Because you were a kid amongst men, like you said. Well, they all took care of me. I had Lee Smith, he took care of me. Um, when I was a rookie, I was to sleep at Lee's house. I was to fall asleep. I was to eat at his house, and I was to fall asleep. And then his wife used to wake me up by six in the morning and say, Sean, you got to go home. You got to be in tomorrow. So they took care of me. Um, Joey Davis, who's saying, who took care of me. He was always positive, but I was always complaining. And Keith Morgan, who I really liked too, Leon Durham. Um, Chris Spire was my infield um, partner. He really took care of me. I remember one day we taking ground balls and the, no the ball bust him in the nose and he broke it. So the next day he came with a mask and still took ground balls with me. So I appreciate the older players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 85 comes around and like you said, you know, life comes at you fast. You know, you're dominating uh, minor leagues and you come up and, and you had maybe some of your first adversity right there in, in 85. But obviously then you overcame that and became a mainstay at shortstop. You, we talked about the hitting and, and the, the curveball and, and fastball, but a lot of us remember you for just being dynamic at shortstop. And you have a, a, a cannon of an arm. Has there ever been a first baseman that's like, dude, back off a little bit? <laughs> did Gracie or anybody say anything to you ever? Or in minor or anything? Well, they all did. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, 
well, when you play shortstop, we all want to be Ozzy Smith. I wanted to be Ozzy Smith, but I'm not smooth at all. I'm really rough around the edges. So I remember Zim said, just throw the ball. You have an arm, use it. You can't be Ozzy. Yes, you want to be him, but you have a good arm, use it. Don't worry about it. They catch it. Eh? They did. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it about Wrigley Field? Uh, kind of walk us through that moment because we all, no matter how old we are in this room, we've all had that moment the first time we walked into Wrigley Field. You had it different because you got to walk in and play at Wrigley Field. So, what was your first impression of uh, some of us like to call like you know a cathedral here in Chicago, Wrigley Field? Oh, it was nice. It was nerve wracking. I still see it right now when I came up, and it's like, whoa, this is different. It's like, it is true, you have three decks in the major leagues, in the minor leagues, you don't have that. Uh -huh. And everyone's screaming and looking at me, and I think everybody's looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> it really wasn't, but I felt that way. <laughs> but when I made a mistake, I always felt they was looking at me. And that's nerve-wracking, so you have to get used to it. And I made my first error in the fifth inning before I got my first hit in the sixth inning, so I remember all that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so you being from New York, cold weather didn't bother you because Wrigley Field can get really cold in April and May and September. It didn't really bother you from being from New York? Well, I'm 22. It's nothing cold. It's nothing. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not cold. Right. It's not hot. Nothing hurts. <laughs> now I'm 60. Everything hurts. <laughs> I didn't know no better. I just went out there and played and enjoyed myself and I love playing. But I really appreciate the, the fans because we was in last place a lot of years. Yeah. And it's easy to be the best fans in baseball to come out when your team's in first. Right. But you Cub fans always made us feel comfortable when we was in third, fourth, fifth. But we always felt like we was in first. Yeah. So I want to tell you that we appreciate that. Well, a couple rough years when you first came up, but I mean, let's talk about success. 1989 was a very successful year, so that was your first taste of playoff baseball at Wrigley, playoff atmosphere at Wrigley, and then actually the playoffs at Wrigley. So what are some of your memories of that magical year, and then in particular the playoffs, the first time you being in the playoffs at Wrigley Field? Well, 89 was a, a, um, a beautiful year because we won, but that was the year that Sean O'Meara was born. Which we're going to get to in a second. We're, we're going to get to that, for sure. Because you and I have talked backstage about that. So, so... All right, you know what? Forget it. Let's go right to that question. Let's go right to that question. Because I love what you were... You and I talked a little bit backstage, and I was so... Uh, taken by your opinion of this. So we all know the Sean O'Meter being on TV and Harry Carey talking about it and everything. Give us your impression or your first impressions of what the Sean O'Meter meant and what you thought of it. Well, at first I didn't like it. My batting average was 177. <laughs> and it was like May 28th, 29th, so that's a lot at bats. <laughs> and I didn't think it was funny that guys home up in batting average. Because on the scoreboard it stays up there for so long and I'm like, then all the teammates getting on me and say, Sean, look at your batting eyes. I said, I know my batting eyes. <laughs> I got this guy out here, this batting eyes, and he's pissing me off. I'm trying to be nice. I am pissed. <laughs> and he has my average. I'm like, really? Man. So that whole year was like funny. And then that year, I mean, my wife told me one day, man, we playing the, um, the Los Angeles Dodgers in LA, right, Tracy? And I call, I said, how you doing this thing? She go, what are you doing? At, at the plate. I said, what are you swinging at? <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? I said, it's not that easy. Well, I wouldn't have swung. I said, you ain't playing. <laughs> and went on. My wife pissed me off. My parents pissed me off. But everybody is right. 
But my wife goes, you made my stomach hurt. So I had to turn the TV off. So, oh my goodness. So I'm like, wow. So I said, you just turn it on when Andre and Rhino and Grace get up. She said, yeah. I said, okay. And it hit me. Then it shone on me. There's my wife getting on me. But it motivated me. It made me feel good that people care. You know, my wife was telling the truth. And she said, what are you swinging? I said, it's not that easy. Right, right. I said, I want to be Rhino too. <laughs> I want to be Andre and Grace, but we can't be like them all the time. Let me be me, and that's why I had the best manager in Zim. He let me be myself. He said, Sean, if you want to swing at it, swing at it. But when your bad nerves go down, it's on you. So I had to slow down a little bit, so I slowed down. Then I learned how to walk. That was the highest walk I had was 30, 30 walks, and Grace goes, Sean, if you walk, it helps your bad nerves. I go, really? I swear. <laughs> so I said, Grace, I have a bad nerves. Well, if you walk, there's not a time that bad. I go, really? <laughs> so I walked and I got it up. And I seen it shining on me and it kept going up and it went to 180. I said, wow, that's a lie. It went to 185. But it really, man, felt good when my wife and my kids were saying, Daddy, Daddy, look at Harry Carey. He said, feed the meter, feed the meter. <laughs> so it really made me feel good. And everywhere I went, Every town, everybody had a shine on me. <laughs> but I knew which one was the original one. <laughs> right, 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 right. And that's my buddy there. Yeah. So we didn't realize this is actually an official sonometer. And Sean, those who actually signed it inside the house. Pretty cool, man. That's really, really cool. Yeah. It's all him. He made me popular. First, he pissed me off. <laughs> but he's my buddy. <laughs> but it's funny, you know, I mean, like, now with social media, things go viral, right? I mean, so that actually, back in the 80s, late 80s, and that, that's kind of your viral moment that kind of got you to become, like, more of a household name outside of Chicago because that shot on me, there was something that people actually gravitated to. Yeah, they did, but I didn't like it. You didn't like it? <laughs> I wasn't hitting my weight. Uh, but but I mean, eventually, come on, eventually you got it up and... Uh, you brought up Harry Carey, and, and I want to bring it, because obviously we all love Harry Carey. Um, I, I, I feel like I grew up, and he was my grandfather. I never met the man, but I felt like he was he was my grandfather. I came home from school, watched it on TV, heard him talk about baseball. I felt like I knew him so well. What was, from a player standpoint, what did you guys think of Harry Carey? Because you weren't watching the games like we were watching the games. So what was Harry Carey to you and the teammates uh, from, a, you know, from a dugout level? Uh, Harry was the biggest Cubs fan. Oh, boy, he wanted us to win so bad. Right. Everybody thought he was a front runner, but he wasn't. He was just a Cup fan. I mean, he really loved us. And um, it's funny, every time I get up the bat, he calls me Shawan, Shawan, Which you don't like, apparently, right? No, it's not that, but when we go on a road trip and get on the plane, he calls me Sean. Oh, really? <laughs> Okay, so just to clarify, on the air, he will call you Shawan, because it's kind of spelled that way, right? Well, it's, it's spelled that way. My grandmother spelled that way. It's unique, so I kept it, and he kept calling me Shawan. I never could. <laughs> but on the plane, personally, he said Sean. Sean. <laughs> he called me Sean. Then when other people call me Shawan, I correct it. My name is Sean. Oh, okay, yeah. I never correct Harry. Never. That's great. That's great. Never. Um, I'd say for our generation and our people that are here, the, the iconic double play combination was Dunson to Sandberg to Grace. Yeah. I mean, that was everything, right? I think we even have obvious shirts that say that, Dunstan to Sandberg to Grace. Um, you and Rhino, I mean, just two amazing defenders. What was your relationship like? Uh, because you guys are paired forever. Um, well, me and Rhino's the opposite. Right, right. I'm loud. <laughs> He's quiet. Uh -huh. And my locker 
was here, his locker was here, and Andre Dawson was here. Okay. So my first year, I was at the phone, where I had to pick up the phone and phone calls. I had to get it as a rookie. Then my second year, they put me next to the two quietest people in the world. They didn't say nothing. When I say nothing, I mean nothing. Orana used to say, good morning, Sean, and you got everything. I said, what do you mean you got everything? Well, when the guy steals, you got it. When it's a double play, back to the picture, you got it. I go, oh, okay. And Andre, how you doing today? Hi, Sean. And that was it. I'm like, why are they putting me next to these two guys? So I watched them, and like before the game, I'm always laughing and joking and jittery, having a good time, but they was quiet. So I'm loud for about three, four hours, and an hour before the game, I get real quiet. So I learned from Andre Rhino how to be a um, professional ball player and how to go out there and play the game. So when I'm on the field, I was very quiet. I didn't say much. I said, I got a film. They said, Sean, you scared? No, I'm not scared, but sometimes I am. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. It's like my wife, like when she watches the game, she said, please hit the ball at Sean first inning. Please. And she's right. If I didn't get the ball in the first two innings, I, I get a little nervous. So I get a little nervous. I get nervous, but if I get the first ground ball in the first inning, my nerves are calm. You, you had said that, um, that, one time you had seen Rhino make an error, and that was very rare. Obviously, Rhino's right. Hall of Fame Gold Glover. You said that uh, you'd seen him make an error, and then you got even more scared because you're like, well, if this guy makes an error. <laughs> I got nervous. I mean, he made an error. The ball went between his legs. I said, oh. <laughs> Grace looking at me, and I'm looking at him like, man, he made an error. It made me nervous. If he make an error, I know I'm going to make one. <laughs> man, then he come over, we change pitches, and he goes, Sean, what happened? I go, what do you mean, what happened? I said, you missed it. <laughs> and that day he told me, that's the year he broke the record for, um, like a second of games, no errors. So he said, I'm not gonna make another error this year. I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm saying, I said a couple of words, but when he made an error, it made me nervous because he don't make errors. He's not nervous of nothing. A set putting ice on his back. Really? And, oh, we can't stand that. <laughs> he was different. He can't stand but everything else. He was such a professional, him and Andre. And we learned so much from them. We played. I knew they was Hall of Famers. And, man, we just look up to them and all the players. And all the players I played with, I love all my teammates, especially all the guys, because they taught me how to be a man. Yeah. Um, in your career, I believe you've had two All-Star appearances? Two. I mean, how was that experience for you? I mean, Sean Dunstan, you know, I mean, from New York, you know, legendary shortstop here in Chicago, making the All-Star game a couple of years. How was that? Oh, that was beautiful. I had it. Um, 88 was my first daughter, Whitney, and 1990 was Jasmine, my second daughter. So, And the second one was at Wrigley Field, mm -hmm. and that was really nice. I remember it rained that day, everything. My brother brought him down. I mean, brought my daughter down. And I'm just looking at everybody. Wow, look at this. We really feel. And when they introduced me, wow, I thought I was Andre and Rhino because I got a standing ovation. I, was I thought that was nice. And that's one of the biggest moments of my career. They gave me a standing ovation. I thought that was so nice. I felt like Andre and Rhino. That's cool. Well, I mean, I got a feeling this weekend you're going to feel like Andre and Rhino because uh, this man, along with Mark Grace, are being inducted to the Cubs Hall of Fame. Walk 
us through that. Like, who called you? What were you thinking? How do you feel about it? I mean, that's there aren't many, but I mean, the fact that you are officially going to be a Cubs Hall of Famer, uh, walk us through that that moment and what it means to you. Well, I was like, I, mean, I was out with my wife in Arizona, and the people called me and were like, "Well, you need to come in." I said, "For what?" I haven't <laughs> spoke to the Cubs in years. So you calling me for? They said, well, we need you to come to convention. I go, no, no, I don't need no attention. A lot of guys go, I go, I just want to be at home. And now that I'm home, I'm getting older. And you know you're man, you get a little older, you know you're old when you hang out with your wife. <laughs> and I remember when I was 21, and my wife and I was boyfriend and girlfriend, and now that we're older, we're 16, I hang out with her. And we ride our bikes together. You know what I'm doing, I want to be 21. <laughs> but it's nice, and we get along good, and it's just nice. Um, but when they called me, I thought it was a joke. I haven't spoke to the Cubs. I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, I was went to the um, Cubs Hall of Fame, and I got quiet, and I told my wife, I said, well, me? I said, well, you're going in with Grace. Then when they said Grace, it made me feel really comfortable because Grace is my buddy. And I'm not afraid to say when I play with Grace, he was my security blanket on the field. Yeah, right. So my skills could come out when I play with Grace and Rhino because Rhino let me get every ball up the middle. He said, Sean, I will not run into you. I'll go around you. You just turn your foot, and you can just get it. And when I um, when I get the ball in the hole, I'm gonna to try to throw everybody out because I do have an arm, and I want to throw a guy out. I wasn't worried about throwing it away because I knew Mark Grace would um, right do his best and yeah, make me look good. Yeah, I mean, is there any better way you could be inducted to the Cubs Hall of Fame than with your buddy Mark Grace? I mean, it's really is cool that you both are getting that together because you guys are honestly, you know, connected forever. Yeah, that's what I put out. I mean, I like when Grace came up because when I was the rookie, I was the first one, then Greg Maddox, then Jamie Moy, Rafi Palmerocchio, and then Grace came up. But when, when, man, before Grace came up, I was the one who's always in trouble. <laughs> I couldn't do nothing right. right. If I make a good play, you could have did it better. Or you got a double, you should have had a triple. I couldn't do nothing right. But when Grace came to the Cubs, it switched. And it went to Grace. And I loved it. They, <laughs> they used to rip Mark Grace so bad. I remember we had a team meeting because we said, you're supposed to wear socks on the plane. And Zim ripped him in LA and said, guys, we have this young stud on the team, don't know the rules of wearing socks. And I, I see Mark just put his <laughs> And I started crying, I'm laughing. So it all went off on me, but what they was trying to do was tell me and Mark that um, you have a chance to be very good players and leaders of the team after Andre and Rhino leave. But we don't know that. We just want to play and want everybody to accept us and like us. Right. So when he took it hard, I thought it was funny. I still do to this day. <laughs> and I'm glad he came in. But I'm so happy for him because I know most Cubs fans know how good Mark Grace was. He don't get the publicity. Mm -hmm. But um, you know he had the most hits in the 90s, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's more than Tony Gwynn, right? right. Yeah. Wayne Boggs, right? Yeah. Those are Hall of Famers. Mark's a very good player and he's my um, buddy. Everybody know that, and I'm so happy he's going in with me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you had said you hadn't talked to the Cubs in a while, 
So just because I know you guys got close in 89, and I think, you know, obviously we've been starved for a championship in the city for a long time. How did you feel about 2016? Uh, were you following along? I know I know you were affiliated with the Giants for a while. I know we beat the Giants in 2016. Um, but, like, how did you feel about the actual, like, when the Cubs won the World Series, what crossed your mind, and what did you feel? Well, it was good. I mean, because I was with the Giants, and here... I'm with the Giants, and they go, Sean, who you rooting for? I go, what are you talking about? Well, we playing the Cubs. I, I didn't say too much. I was coaching. Everyone knows I love the Cubs. So now I'm a coach, and they go, Sean, we playing the Cubs. Who you rooting for? I was like, whatever. But, said, but when they beat us, I knew the Cubs was going to win. Yeah. Because we had a very good team, the Giants. So we just came on three championships, and now here's the Cubs, and they're just a little different. They had little stud players, they had some good players. The hustle there was a little different. So I said, I knew they was going to win the World Series. So when they did make the World Series, and my daughter's watching, and we're watching the game, she go, why are you rooting for the Cubs? They, they paid for our house. But you work for the Giants. I said, they pay for our house. I'm going for the Cubs, but I knew he was going to win. I was happy. I was very happy for the Cubs because they deserve it. The Cubs fans deserve it. It was very yeah. I was a little jealous. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I was a little jealous. Jealous as a player because you guys didn't do it because you were with the Why were you jealous? No, I was jealous because I wasn't on the team. Right, 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 right. It wasn't the 89 Cubs. You were right. Correct. Okay, I got you. I got right. you. And the Giants beat us. I know. Now with the Giants. And I still have, I still hate Will Clark for, for that reason, man. I, I still, I'm sorry. I do. I just hate him. Along with Steve Garvey and I hate Will Clark. I'm sorry. No apologies. He, um, he, um, he's a little different. He was very good. I didn't like him at all. As a Really? Player. Oh, okay. I didn't like him at all. Okay. But when we became teammates with the Cardinals, he's a class act. Yeah. He's, he's a very good teammate. I know he's a good player, but just, you know, being a Cubs homer, I just hated the man. For no, um, he was good. I still hate him. He always reminds me of what, <laughs> man, what we did to you. I go, we or whatever. Yeah, right, right. A um, couple more questions I have for you, then we'll open it up to some, some people here. But uh, you were a dynamic defender, and you were a dynamic hitter. What did you like better? Um... <laughs> I like both, but when I'm 0 for 4, when I usually was 0 for 4, um, I like defense. Yeah. Because when I'm 5 for 5, and if a player hits the ball deep in the hole, he's out. Mm -hmm. yeah. But when I'm 0 for 5, he's definitely out. <laughs> the reason why, because it's called competing, and I want him to be upset like me and have an attitude. But I took a hit from him when I'm 0 for 5, 9. He's about 0 for 4. And I want to hear the guy slam the bat, curse in the dugout. Because we hear everything. And that makes me feel good. So my 0 for 5 is not too bad. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then, you know, just out of curiosity, I know you had this cannon of an arm. When you were coming up, were the thoughts of you ever being a pitcher? Or did you ever want to pitch? Or you just always knew shortstop was for you or infield was for you? or. No, I always wanted to play in. I don't want to hit a. I want to hit a pitch. I don't want to be a pitcher. It's no. boring. They only play one time. So yeah. I had a good arm. So I remember Lee Smith. He's always teasing me. He go. He, he calls me Shea Wong. <laughs> and he goes, Shea Wong. Man, you're not fielding good. You're not hitting good. You know the Cubs need a setup man. I said, No, Lee. I'm not gonna be your setup man. So. I had to get myself together. They wanted me to pitch in high school. I said I never wanted to pitch. Yeah. I didn't want to hurt my arm. Okay. I make you throw curveballs. And still to this day, my arm don't hurt. 
Awesome, awesome. And then how about uh, today's game? Do you still watch baseball? And if you do, is there a, a player, a shortstop that, that you are really like, wow, this guy's got it, or I like watching him play or anything? I watch all the shortstops because I'm a shortstop. I root for all the shortstops to okay. do well. And um, I just love all shortstops. I love baseball. And yes, I come for the Giants. I have a man crush on Brandon Crawford. Okay. He's, he's so good. Yeah. I got a really good play. Now he's at the time in his career where he's going to move him out. So. Right. I remember seeing them, but we all gonna have to be moved out. And um, that's how the game is. But I like all short stuff. I root for everybody. Awesome. That's cool. Very, very cool. Um, well, that's all that I have prepared. Uh, does anybody have any other questions? Do you want to air? What's up, buddy? Do I, do I have to censor this? But by the way, my, my questions have all been edited, okay? Like, I hope that Crowley can keep it PG. So I will say this, Sean, is that a lot of us were he there at CubsCon when they announced you were getting in the Cubs Hall of Fame. A lot of us, the second that Stu put the tickets out, we were out here right away. Do you see yourself being more involved in coming back to Chicago and being close to the Cub fans and coming back to more conventions in the future? Well, um, I wouldn't mind, but I don't play anymore. It's time for other people to be seen and shine. I just want to be home with my wife and kids. Yeah. Kids is not home. We have an empty nest. <laughs> I, it's funny because I, I, I do feel it, it's funny because on the field, <laughs> you uh, you were such, right. you were such a dynamic player uh, when you played the game, but you do seem a little more reserved uh, now that you're out of baseball. It is funny for me as a fan to see that. It's cool though. Well, I'm wild. Don't get okay, 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 okay. Okay, okay. I'm wild. Yeah, I'm wild, okay. man. But when I played, I wanted to um, be successful so bad. Yeah. But I was in a rush okay. to be successful. Gotcha. And all great players or very good players are calm. Andre calm. Rhino calm. Act like nothing's happening. With me, I show my emotions. Right. I'm, I'm very emotional. When I do well, I'm smiling, giggling in the club. I see, I got them, you know, got them. Then when I'm struggling, I'm, I'm down because I care. Right. When you don't care anymore, it's time to get out the game. So right. they say high strung. I'm not high strung. I just have energy. That's all. Yeah. But I wanted to be Andre Rhino and Tony Gwynn and all the great players because they all calm, but I'm not calm. Right. But I like them because I'm not them. And I want to know why they calm and I'm not. Gotcha. And it's like the opposite. My wife is calm and I'm wild. And we get along. <laughs> Any more questions? Yeah. Do you want to? This won't reach by you, so you want to shout it out? Or? No, I was just kind of curious. Any players that absolutely drove you crazy when you were playing? <laughs> like players that slid into you wrong, you know, did something that you were just like. <laughs> Good question. Good question. Well. Well. There's one guy that didn't drive me crazy, but you must have seen the film one. He slid up to me, and I slapped the guy in the head. Well, let me explain to you. The play was a steal. And when you're still in the base, you try to avoid from getting tagged out. You don't run into the, the fielder. Yes, I was late getting there. Don't get me wrong. I was late, but the base is here. And I'm here. And if you're still in the base, you try to avoid from getting tagged out. So why are you sliding here? You slide there. But he slid and took me out. And I got pissed and I had to let him know. You're not going to do that. 
But other people say, oh, they go, Sean is upset because he just had back surgery. No. If it was a play with man on first and he's taking me out, that's a great play. But when you're stealing, you don't take the, the, the infielder out. Right. So that's when people say, oh, Sean is upset. He's crazy. No, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. But you don't play like that. I never played to hurt anybody. Never. Yeah. Never. Yeah. To, to, to follow up on that question and what you're talking about right now, how do you feel about the new rules that really do protect the infielders? Because you got you played in a time when like guys would try to break up those, those plays hard. Um, they've kind of cut back on that a little bit. How do you, how do you feel about uh, baseball today versus when you played? Different. Kind of a little easy right there. <laughs> nobody takes you out. Right. But I used to um, want the guy to come take me out because I was a drop down. So when I dropped down, I knew where my target's at. And I wanted to intimidate them. The reason I wanted to intimidate them because when it is a double play ball in the ninth inning and they know that I'm going to drop down and I may hit them, but I'm not going to hit them, he will slide a little away from me and he won't touch me. Okay. So I learned that for Brian. He's out. Nice. Okay. Nice. Any more questions, guys? Yep. Oh, yeah. What did, Sean, what did you think about when Harry Carey used to be like, Sean Samberg? <laughs> well, he didn't say much because I didn't play like that. <laughs> but I have a problem with that, I, man. Because we love Harry. Yeah. Harry always talks to us. Yeah. He wasn't like the other announcers. Harry was one of us in the clubhouse, right. in the dugout, and he always rooted for us. Yeah. Always rooted for us. For sure. Then other question you said, what play I didn't like. I didn't like I didn't like Nolan Ryan and Dwight Gooding because I couldn't hit them. No, I couldn't hit them. And so when I faced Dwight Gooding, I'm like, damn, they draft me over him. <laughs> it was kind of tough. I remember I asked Dallas Green that, and he said, no, son, I think we made the right decision. That's I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that one. But Nolan Ryan and Dwight Gooding was the two toughest pitchers I ever faced in my life. Really? They were so tough. Is there a picture that you had their number? I mean, you just you just were so excited. You couldn't get to the back rack fast enough. To, to no, I'm not, I'm not the type of guy to get on them, but I know who they are. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. See, maybe about 10 years ago he would have said it, but now you guys are filming everything. He's one of them viral. So how about this? Put your phones away and just tell us now. Uh, yeah, someone in the corner? Right there, yeah. And she's asking for a reason. She's got twin boys that are 13 years old that are 6'3". I'm 6'3", and these kids are 13 years old. So she's asking for her own boys, actually. Well, play basketball. <laughs> I would tell you. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't hear me say play basketball. <laughs> well, 6'3 may be too short for basketball now. But I would tell a young kid and their parents, I made it because of my dad. And you need to listen to your parents. It's not just the word you say. I listen to my parents. I listen to my father. He's my hero. He's not here now. He passed, he passed away 10 years ago. But I listen to him because you should listen to your parents. Because I tell you, because your, man, your parents are going to always tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. But when you're playing in the minor leagues and coaches, I was the number one pick. And... They was just always telling me, I'm doing good, I'm doing good. But how I'm doing good when I made 50 errors? Mm -hmm. See the difference? Mm -hmm. 
you were the golden child of the Cubs organization, so they weren't Correct. maybe being as hard on you as your father would be. Right, but I was failing. I made 50 errors. Mm -hmm. I remember I had one coach that said, can you tell me what I'm doing wrong? And he didn't tell me. I'm not going to tell the coach's name. And he go, well, no, I'm not going to tell you. I said, wow. That really hurt me. It bothered me. But I said, it's okay. I'm going to make it with you or without you. But I'd rather make it without you. Mm -hmm. because, because half of the coaches are trying to go to the big leagues with you. Mm -hmm. Some right. of them. And the good coaches are the ones who's always on you and staying on you and staying on you. So your parents will always tell you the truth where other people and coaches they're not because they're trying to go somewhere with you so your parents can always tell you the truth i say listen to your parents nice. they're going to tell you the truth and it seems like uh great yeah great i will clap for that for sure um and it seems like you had a real good connection with don zimmer it seems you brought him up a couple times that was was that maybe i would say favorite coach but a coach that really got through to you no, he's my favorite manager i have no problem with okay that. Cool. well he lets me be myself Right. So we have other coaches, they're always trying to change me. Mm -hmm. I had one coach, Gene Michaels, a very nice man. He was a shortstop. And he goes, Sean, you have to sweep the base. I said, I can't sweep the base like all the shorts. I step on the base. But I said, Gene, I can't do what you do. Right. Just like you can't do what I do. Yeah. And he goes, well, you're not being coached. I said, yes, I am being coachable. You can't do what I do. Right. So why am I uncoachable? And he looked at me, well... You need to do it my way. I said, but you don't play anymore. <laughs> you see? So that was the problem what I had with the coaches. But Zim let me be my, he said, son, you want to touch the base this way? Touch it. Make sure you throw it straight. I said, maybe a little crooked sometimes, Zim, but he said, just throw it straight. So he let me be myself where most coaches try to change you. Yeah. With Zim, and my favorite coach is John Vukovic, who was a third base coach oh, in 1985. Yeah, yeah. And Ruben Amaro, and my infield coach was Tony Franklin. They let me be myself. They say, Sean, let's do it your way. And if your way don't work, can you do it my way? I go, oh, sure. But other coaches will say, you're going to do it my way. I go, no, I'm being defined. I'm not doing it your way because you're not playing. Right. Nice. Nice. Yeah, right here. Uh, Bill Madden had a saying, respect 90. And even as a 12-year-old watching you uh, – run every ball out like you did you did the 30 yard dash and just i mean beat out i don't know how many infield hits in your career and and i just respected that love that you ran everything out was there somebody in your life that pushed you to do that and uh how do you feel about players that kind of lollygag down to first nowadays well i grew up that way um playing because i watched um the television in new york we had wr with the mets and those three players I always watched, but I never liked them. Because I was a Met fan, and I'm a New Yorker. It was Pete Rose, it was George Brett, and Hal McCray. They always ran down the line real hard. I'm like, why are these guys are running down the line so hard? And I kept looking at it, and I said, wow, I like that. If they could do it, I could do it. Then another reason why you run hard is two reasons. One, I could run. And two, I'm pissed off. <laughs> so that's why I ran hard the first. I want the guy to drop the ball booted so bad. Yeah. I want him to feel like me because I'm tired of turning back and going to the dugout. And if, that's you why beat I play out, hard. if you beat out an infield hit, the shot meter goes up too. You know? The infield hits count. Yeah, the shot meter go up, but. But when you get on the air, your back nerves goes down. Uh, but at least I feel kind of good because he feels like me. True, true, true. Uh, yeah, right there. 
Hey, I want to know how many errors did Mark Grace save me? <laughs> oh, an estimate, an estimate of how many errors Gracie saved you from. Oh, that's not a, um, a question where I'm embarrassed. <laughs> no, I'm not. He saved me many. I have no problem, but I had Leon Durham first. And Leon Durham was good too. So I went from Leon to uh, Mark Grace. I have no problem. I have no problem with that. I have a good arm and it gets a little wild because I have a good arm. I mean, yeah. man, I can't control it all the time. But having Grace over there was so nice. It was my security blanket, so it made my game much easier. So he saved me. Um, I'll give you a number. A hundred. A hundred? That's good. That's good. I love it. I love it. In the corner over there, yeah? All right. Speaking of the Sean-o-meter, the first time you ever saw it, what went through your mind? And did you follow it throughout the game to make sure they got it right? Like I said, it was 177. I wasn't following it too long. <laughs> but when it did go up, it kept going up and going up and going up. Yeah, I followed. I knew where it was at in left field. <laughs> I knew. I, and I'm superstitious like all ball players, and I was hoping he'd come to the game. Yeah? Because when he didn't come to the game, I felt like I wasn't going to get a hit. So when I did see him out there, I knew I was going to get a hit. And he put the sign up there. He said, go, man, go Cubs, go Sean. And... Go Tracy, because my wife was expecting our second child, Jasmine. Oh, that's cool. So I remember that. And then he had the all-star Sean Dunson on I remember the Sean O'Meter earrings, T-shirt, calculators, everything. Oh, I remember everything. Did you get a cut of those proceeds? Um, I didn't want one because he did enough for me. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Like I said, it was kind of like viral before viral existed. That was your that was your viral moments. Over here? Yeah, what? Oh, my favorite player growing up, I had to, um, I like the Phillies too. I like Mike Schmidt, because in high school I played third base. Then they moved me to shortstop. So I like Mike Schmidt and um, um, Andre Dawson. Oh. Okay, so let's talk about that. So you as a kid, Andre Dawson was one of your favorite ball players. So now fast forward to uh, 1988. He is, or he's 87, right? 87? 87. 87, you guys are now teammates. How was that for you? Kind of a full circle moment, huh? Well, let's go back to 85. Okay. So I meet Andre. He hits a double at second base, and I'm so excited. I used to argue <laughs> with all the guys in the minor leagues when Andre against Del Murphy. When Del Murphy um, took over, one MVP. I thought Andre should win MVP. Uh -huh. I'm arguing and fighting. And Andre, 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 now finally meet him at second base. I'm looking. I said, how you doing, Andre? And he just looks at me. <laughs> and it took him like two minutes to say, oh, how you doing? I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> So I tease him about that, but when we became a teammate, what a nice man. He's, he he's so nice. He cared for every player on the team. He wants everyone to do well. And he taught us how to be ball players because um, he had bad knees. Um, we had to be on the field at 10 o'clock. Remember, I was 21, 22. I should show up 945. Okay. <laughs> I was young. Nothing hurt. Yeah. Andre should show up at 7 o'clock. I watch him. What are you doing? They get ready and taping and taping. But he never complained. So I had to learn how to do that after I hurt my back. To don't complain because nobody cares. Yeah. And I had to learn that. And I, um, team doctor, Dr. Shaver told me to learn from Andre how you carry yourself. Be quiet and just go about your business. Love that. And you know, while you bring up Andre, yeah, clap for, for the hawk. Um,
you know, obviously one of the most infamous stories about Dawson was him coming to Chicago with a blank check, you know, and saying, I want to play here. Um, reading up on you a little bit, I saw, I believe, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but uh, your first contract extension, you didn't field offers from anybody else. You wanted to stay in Chicago and you signed with the Cubs. What, what was it about Chicago or Wrigley Field that made you not even want to test the waters anywhere else? You wanted to stay here in Chicago. Well, I was drafted by the Cubs. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wanted to play for the Cubs. I gave my honest answer, but they don't take it that way. I told them this is what I want. They said, no, you can't get $10 million. I said, well, I'm not signing. They looked at me, I'll be a free agent. So they said, you want to sign? I said, yes, I gave you my word. I want to sign with the Cubs. I want to stay with the Cubs. So um, I signed with them. It was beautiful. And when I about to sign the contract, I was so nervous. Because <laughs> now you think you come from Brooklyn, a young kid. I'm about to sign for $12 million. I go, ah. Because this is life changing and it set my life up and my wife and I and um, I was just nervous but very grateful and then usually when players sign big contracts they get hurt and that all season I got hurt picking up my daughter as I hurt my back and the game was slowing down for me the game got a little easier as the game got easier I got hurt so now I had to come back out of rehab and then I had to learn from Andre and he left, so I had to go from being at the ballpark at 9.45 and here showing to the ballpark at 7 o'clock. <laughs> so I had to learn how to um, man, get ready for the game and then play against the other team. And then um, if I had to look at it again, I would do it again the same way because I learned a lot about being home, how home is going to be. And when you get hurt, no one cares. Nobody wants to be around you. I'm the same way. If a player's in a slump on my team and he's not hitting good, I really don't want to talk to him. I really don't want to be around him. But if the player's playing real good, I'll just walk by and just touch him. <laughs> and think it's going to rub off on me. A lot of athletes are like that. But I learned a lot that it's, it's tough. But I mean, when you hurt, you hurt. But the most important stat in sports is availability. Yeah. And I was hurt. But Rhino, I looked at his, he played 150 games like 8 to 10 years. I only played 150 twice is when I was young. Mm-hmm. So I tell kids to go play. Don't worry about nothing because you're just going to have to just go out there. And, play. and you're going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. So you got to accept it. You got to know how to deal with the good and deal with the bad. Yeah. But one of the nicest moments when I'm out for two years and then I finally come back and I pinch it and the Cub fans gave me a stand ovation. Then I grounded out, they gave me a stand ovation. I was like, wow, this is pretty good. Yeah, this is nice. So that was my second greatest moment. First was being in the big leagues. Then when I grounded out and the Cubs fans gave me a stand ovation after I missed two years and I read all the articles. <laughs> All of them. And I remember all the reporters, when I came back, I just gave them the dumb look. Not, not the look that I have now. And just let them know, but I know they had a job to do, but it wasn't fair because they didn't know who the person was. All they was looking at how much money you made. Right. And I was making all this money, but I was miserable. My wife could tell you, I was miserable. Because mm-hmm. I couldn't play baseball. You're a competitor. You wanted to be out there. Yeah, I want to play. I mean, right. the money was nice. Going to my wife and the kids, but right. I'm unhappy. I just want to yeah. play baseball. So, um, you know, baseball is a beautiful sport, but you got to take the good with the bad. So, if you want your son to be an athlete, you got to take the good 
and they're gonna take the bad, and it has to be humble. Yeah, it has to be humble. Yeah. Actually, good advice. Uh, over there. I was at that game actually. I was at that game when he exploded, and that and that was so out of character for him. So yeah, any insight you have on that? That's, that's a great question. Uh, well, it was Joe West. Joe West is a little different, you know. He wants to control the game. And he called that low pitch on Andre, and I'm like, wow, that is a ball. You could call it on me, because I swing at everything. <laughs> but if you know, Andre, or the hitters who walk a lot, you don't call that. Mm -hmm. Or good hitters. So when Andre just went off and went crazy, I'm just looking, I'm like, yeah, Andre, about time you saw some emotion. <laughs> I thought it was funny to me. Yeah. But we all stayed away, and I'm like, Andre, what's going on? Man, I'm sick of this. And, 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 and. I said, really? I said, you talking to really? <laughs> so I thought it was nice. Zim liked it. The whole team liked it. Andre don't say nothing. Don't right. do nothing. And, and Rhino was laughing. So I thought it was funny too. <laughs> I love it. Um, I want to circle back on one thing you said actually uh, about uh, when you were hurt and you read the articles. And then, you know, uh, that was a different time. Now there's social media and there's Twitter and there's all this stuff that's like instant. Do you think it's harder to be a ball player now because the criticism is real and it's instant and it's whatever. Back then it was the reporters and the newspaper and the TV stations. But like, what is your take on the fact of like the ball players today dealing with the negativity on Twitter and social media instantly versus the old school papers and TV stations and stuff? Oh, they have it harder. Well, I don't get on Twitter. I don't even know how to turn on a computer. <laughs> oh, wow, okay, okay. All right, all right. He's old school. He's old school. I don't like text. <laughs> I want people to call me because I say if I owe you money, you will call me, not text me. <laughs> so I'm in that generation. But the new generation is good, but it is tougher. Mm -hmm. It is tougher. I mean, because everyone has opinion, which they do. Yeah. But it's real hard. I'm glad. I like my generation because I really can't see myself making 200 million. I'd really be ignorant. I mean, no one would tell me nothing. I wouldn't learn nothing. And it wouldn't be right. So they really have it hard. So I commend them how they carry themselves. It's much harder. I don't want nobody to know my wife. Yeah. I don't want nobody to know my kid. Right. Yeah. I just want to be just Sean and just go play by baseball. But these new guys, they have it much harder. So it is harder now. Mm -hmm. And they handle themselves very well. But you got to take the good, the bad. If you're going to get on Twitter and brag when you're doing good, you got to right. do it when you're failing too. Yeah. So good that's call. the only thing I don't want. Good call. Absolutely. Another question over here? I have one. You might not want to talk about it, but it was before a Cubs game. The Cubs were playing the Giants, and you and Barry Bonds were getting into it. And the WGN cameras were all over it. I want to know if you remember that. If you remember what it was about, you and Barry Bonds, 1994, 95, I want to say. No, I went to the Giants in 96. Okay. 98, 2001 and two. Well, with Barry, just listen, ball players remember everything. <laughs> and it's funny, I'm arguing with him, and I'm having a better year than him right now. I, I was hitting 350. Barry's hitting 250. And he comes up to me and says, Wow, 
you hitting like me and I'm hitting like you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> he said that to you, huh? Yeah, but he wasn't lying. He wasn't lying. I go, really? It kind of pissed me off because I played with Andre and Rhino. Right. And they would never say that. Right. And would never do that. I'm like, really? You really are a... Mm. But I thought I never would say this. I always thought Andre and Ryan was the greatest players that I ever played with or ever saw or played against. But Barry Bonds is the best player I ever played with or against. Yeah. Barry Bonds is great. Yeah. He is really, really good. It hurts for me to say that because I'm an Andre fan. Right. Right. But he's really good. But he was a little different. But now he's changed. He's changed because he's not playing anymore. Right. And when you finish playing, you're looking for new friends. Like <laughs> <laughs> for me too, all of us, all ball players are looking for friends. But while we playing, it's not like we don't want to talk to you. Is we playing? We trying to do well and play well. Yeah. It's not we annoying you. It's don't want to be bothered. Yeah. We just want to play. You don't want to hear how good you are. Some guys do. I don't. So I don't want to do interviews. I'd rather do interview when I'm playing bad than playing good. Yes. Because it's easy. You play bad, stand up. You play good, I really don't want to talk about it. I know how good I did. Mm -hmm. But I want to keep it there. Let's keep it quiet. <laughs> right, right. Let's keep it quiet. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Captain Cobble, what's up, buddy? Uh, any superstitions? Oh, yeah, plenty. Like I told you, if you hit it and you hit it good, <laughs> touchy. Yeah, it's like I was a drive the same way to the um the ballpark. If I had oatmeal in the morning, I'll tell, and I got a couple of hits that day. The next day, I want my wife to make oatmeal. Okay. And I ride to the ballpark the same way. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, I wouldn't step on the white lines going up to the position. And I won't step on the white lines coming back up. Yeah. Yes, I was. I'm just superstitious, yeah. and don't laugh at a guy if you make an error, because you're going to make one, too. Yeah. All right, I like that, I like that. Yes, sir? Uh, we've heard the hardest hitter to go against, the, hard, the hardest pitcher to go against, the best hitter. What's the best pitcher you stood behind? Oh, nice one. Oh. He's thinking. He's thinking. Oh. Well, <laughs> it's hard. Um, well, no, no, man. You mean the pitcher, man? What pitcher? See, well, it's tough because Maddox was my teammate, but I was before Maddox, and we looked at Maddox like a little kid. You know, and I mean, Joni knows that. We knew he's gonna be a good pitcher. Win 150 games, but 355? Right, right. And he didn't act like a pitcher who won 355 games. He was so humble and calm, just a nice guy. And when you play against, man, the good pitchers, they always have your back. And when I played the Cubs, I mean, I got knocked down one time, and, and then the Sutcliffe go out there, and he knocked down somebody. That just makes you feel good. Want to go through the wall for them. And Maddox, and and Mike Balecki. Mm -hmm. So we had good players. I mean, we had good pitchers, but it's not fair to say one pitcher. Mm -hmm. But I'll say all of them, but I did play with some good ones. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really cool, like, again, growing up to, to 
your era of Cubs baseball. That's why I fell in love with the team. Uh, to me, first off, meeting you, can we not say he's one of the nicest guys ever? Like, he's awesome. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I, never, I never got to meet you before. I just watched you on the field, and you were awesome. But, like, you're such a nice, humble guy. I love that. And then the way you talk about the team that I love, you know, to know Sandberg and Dawson are just, like, not only great players, but, like, great guys. It makes it really cool, like, validating, like, we're cheering for a great organization and a great group of guys. So thank you for shedding some light on the fact that these our heroes are also good people. So thank you for doing yes, that, you know? Yes. Um, it's funny. It's funny. When I was playing, everybody didn't think I was a nice guy. <laughs> they thought I was very shitty. And I was shitty, don't get me wrong, but I'm playing. I'm not trying to be a nice guy. I'm trying to beat the next team. Yeah. So why be nice? Because once a player know, because we know that you're nice and you're a fake tough guy, we run through you. There you go. There you go. We All right, we got three more questions, guys. Jo Jody, Jody Davis. I never thought I would say this. Jody Davis has a question for Sean Dunstan. All right, Jody. How far you think that backflip shit would go to, to our era? <laughs> well, it wouldn't go very far. <laughs> um, it go one time around. Right, and the guy would get hit in the neck or the back. That's how the game was played. It, it, it was a little different. It was wasn't that it was macho, but that's how the game was played. So when someone hit me, I really didn't like that. Mm -hmm. So. They said, Sean, oh, getting hit is part of the game. I said, well, going to the mound is part of the game, too. So they basically get mad at me because I had an attitude. I said, no, I didn't know how to play that intimidation game. Right. I thought they were doing it on purpose, and they're messing with your manhood and messing with trying to hurt me. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to try to hurt nobody, but don't try to hurt me. I won't try to hurt you. But the game was played like that. But now I'm glad it's changed because it's not fair to throw at nobody here because the guy hit a home run, get him out. Right. Right. But the game's more about intimidation. But I like yeah. I like my way, but the new way is going in the right direction. I like yeah. it. Well, just to, just to follow up on that, you you know, you were involved in the play with um it was Andre Dawson and Eric Shaw and Rick Sutcliffe wow. and Greg Maddox. Can you tell us a little bit about that incident? Well, I wasn't playing, I had my hand broke. Um I couldn't go out the dugout. And I remember when Andre got hit. It was, it was scary, uh -huh. and he got up, and he got hit in the face. I said, whoa, what's wrong with him? He chased him all around. And I remember we was winning by like 10 runs, and I don't know if it was Gene Michaels was pitching. I mean, our manager, Maddox was pitching. And we knew he was going to be a great pitcher because Maddox was not Greg Maddox yet in 87. 88. He was under 500. And they told him, well, Maddox, you know, you drill somebody. It was a fourth inning. You drill somebody in the fifth inning, after the fifth inning, before you could get the win. And Greg Maddox paid no attention. <laughs> drilled the guy in the fourth inning. They threw him out the game. That's cool. And when they spoke to him, he said, um, why you drill a guy? You got to drill him after. He said, well, this one victory don't mean nothing to me. That's Andre Dawson. That's cool. That's awesome. That's, a great team, man. That's really cool. All right, one final question, guys. One final question for Sean Dunstan. There you go. All right, right here. So you talked about uh, Rhino, 
Andre, they were very quiet. Who was the biggest prankster on your team? Ryan Sandberg. Really? Really? He used to light people's feet on fire. This is a true story. You used to light people's feet on fire? Yes. Guys would be using the bathroom, on the toilet. He was have um, alcohol and spread. Then he'll light a match and boom. Hey! And Joey, Joey, man. So, oh my gosh. Oh, I love it. That's so good. No. And no one thought it was like, Sean, 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 do it again. Sean, Sean, Sean. Really? It was Rhino. Ryan was the biggest mess. A great teammate, but he was oh, he was different. I was to laugh at him because I'm watching him, and he never get mad. But every time he did his fingernails, he's pissed. Really, really. I'm with you. Just that's when he know he's pissed. And I go, you're different. He says, Sean, you just play your game, and I play mine. Awesome. And don't run into me. I think that's the perfect story to end on. Everybody, Cubs Hall of Famer, Sean Justin! Thank you, Sean and Tracy. Thank you so much. I mean, I always say uh, a club party is only as good as this guest. We had a first. We had a first-class guest here tonight. I'm so honored and privileged that you are part of Club 400 now. You're unbelievable, Sean and Tracy. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Casey, do me a favor, guys. These guys have traveled long and hard today. We're gonna, where's Casey, the driver? We're gonna get Casey. We're gonna bring. But we gotta get that sign. Yeah, Allison's up. Okay. And then, uh, we're going to let these guys go home. And he's got a long weekend. He's working for the Cubs all weekend long. And make sure you guys come out Sunday for the big day when Sean's getting inducted into the Chicago Cubs Hall of Fame 2023.